listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. If you go back and watch the very first day of this week, it's more important than I think people realize that if God has gifted you, if he's anointed you to do something for the kingdom, then if it's worth teaching, if it's worth preaching, if it's worth doing with your whole life, then it's worth telling somebody about. It's worth telling your story and applying what God's anointed you to do to this generation who needs to hear the truth. And so I totally believe no matter what it is, you don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be a pastor, an evangelist, a prophet in order to let what's being done in you be known to the world, whatever God's anointed you to do. You could be a businessman, you could be a doctor, it doesn't matter. Whatever God's anointed you to do, there's something that he has used you to do that's worth sharing and encourages the hearts of those that are working for the Lord. And uh, if you miss that, I want to encourage you to go back and watch uh, the first day uh, of the week this week, and it'll it'll help you to understand why I'm teaching what I'm teaching. But I'm going to take some questions at the end, and if you have questions while we're teaching, <clears throat> you can you can ask them as well. Got a new sponsor uh, for the broadcast today. I've never had this sponsor before. Brought to you by Aha Sparkling Water. Never even heard of Aha Sparkling Water, but it's pretty good. So thank you to all of our friends at Aha Corporation for sponsoring the broadcast. Um, let me just say, I am still losing the battle against this rogue fly that's found its way into this room, this makeshift studio. I'm still losing the battle. It is still here. It is still winning. But we're just believing, and I want you to join your faith with mine, <laughs> that before this week comes to an end, I will um, win this battle. I believe I will. I believe I will have a fly swatter or a shoe or something with a dead fly on the other side of it. Anyway, <clears throat> morning, David and Bessie, <laughs> Ashley. Take a minute, share the broadcast, and let's jump in. What I want to talk to you today about is this. <clears throat> once you're once you've decided, and I and I've already gone through, you know, how to determine what your book's about, how to outline it, how to have everything ready. But now we get we get down to the place where you actually have to do the writing. And um, I want to give you some tips that have literally helped me um, in the writing process that have saved me a ton of time, saved me a ton of time and probably money as well. <clears throat> and so actually not probably money. I will tell you, it definitely saved me money. There's my friend, Tim Adams, greatest guitar player on the face of the earth. Sorry, John Mayer. Um, so I'm going to show you today tips that saved me a ton of time and a ton of money as well. And I know they'll do the same for you, obviously, as you're putting your book together. But I want to talk about the practical steps. How do you actually, once you've got your subject matter, once you've got your outline put together like I taught the other day, how do you go about writing the book, preparing the book to send to the printer? How do you go about uh, laying it out? Uh, making sure everything is right and ready to go to actually send the files to be printed into an actual book. Or uh, if you want to only do an ebook, that's something people are doing now. They say, well, I don't necessarily want to have the overhead 
of paying for um, a paperback book or a hardcover book. I just want to release it um, as an ebook, a digital book. I'm going to tell you about that today too and show you how best to do that, uh, which will, it'll quickly get done and you'll be able to be on every major platform that there is. Apple Books, Amazon Kindle eBooks, Barnes & Noble, Nook, whatever you want. You can put your book on every platform and it can be sold in all territories um, where you have the rights. And if you're the author, you have the rights. So you can be in Canada, you know, Mexico, US, uh, the islands, UK, you know, around the world really. And uh, I wanna show you how to do that. So <clears throat> the first thing that saved me time and money is, so the question is when you're writing your book, how do you write the book? What What is it you do to start and, and how, how should you start? A lot of people actually make more work for themselves than they should have to, that you shouldn't have to do this much work to get it all together, but it's because people don't know uh, what to do or how they should do it. So I'll tell you kind of how, um, how I, I go about it at the beginning is it, don't make the mistake. Now, if you're outlining or if you're just putting thoughts down, it's fine if you wanna use a pen and a notebook. Do not, <laughs> I repeat, do not write your book in a notebook. <laughs> do not do that. The work that will go into laying it out after that is ridiculous. Do not by any means write it with a notebook and a pen. Um, I would even say this though, um, I'm going to give you this tip to help you. Don't even write it in Microsoft Word or, you know, if you have a Mac, don't write it in pages. Uh, I will actually save you a step that's going to help you. Um, and anybody can do this. Trust me when I tell you, anybody can do this. Um, if you uh, have, what, $10 a month, and I think anybody can say they have $10 a month, you have the ability to go on to adobe.com, A-D-O-B-E.com, and um, they make it available so that you can, you don't have to uh, purchase the entire suite of Adobe applications. You know, that's the company that makes Photoshop, um, you know, Illustrator, and all these other graphics design tools and web design, and they, they really do everything. But they have a layout program. It's specifically for uh, laying out magazines and books and newspapers, really anything where there's text involved. And the program, if you want to put this in the comments, uh, do me a favor and put it in the comments. The program is called Adobe InDesign. I-N Design. Adobe InDesign. Put that in the comments section. I could not recommend this program more than I do. This is what you need, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. This is the program that you need in order to uh, properly format your book for the printer anyway. So my question is this, and once I learn that, the question becomes, then why would you not write your book in the program? Instead of having to do all the work twice, why not just write your book in the program? And it's just as easy to do as Microsoft Word, as Pages, anything, because it is a full out word processor and it has all the exact same tools plus more that Microsoft Word has, that Pages has. And uh, so Adobe InDesign is a layout program that will allow you to format your text, your book, for printing. 
And so what you want to do, and, and here's the cool thing about it, is that now with um, YouTube and all these free resources that we have, even if you have zero idea of how to use Adobe InDesign, number one, Adobe themselves on their website have tutorials uh, that will help you learn the basics of the programs, learn the tools, whatever. And then YouTube is a literal wealth of information on people teaching you how to use any application. There's people that are doing it for free. You don't have to pay a dime. And so any question you may have about, you know, how do I do this? Literally, it's a Google search. It's a YouTube search away from figuring out how to do that thing. Um, and so for maybe $9.99 a month, they allow you to download one of their applications uh, to your computer monthly for um, without having to download the rest, you know, their full suite of applications. You can just download one, get Adobe InDesign. If you're a student, uh, you can even get a student discount. So that's cool. Um, maybe $9.99 is the student discount and $14.99 is the actual price. Check it out, but it's cheap. And um, so what I recommend that you do, and this saved me so much time, and uh, write this down if you're taking notes because, man, I'm telling you, this will help you. You know, because people ask me, they're like, well, wait, I don't have a staff. I don't have a team. I don't have people help me. It's just me. Well, I'm showing you how to do it when it's just you. Because even when I um, didn't have anyone helping me, like I didn't have people working with me like I do now, I wasn't paying anybody. I didn't have anybody helping me with graphics or layout or any of that. It was just me by myself, especially when I put out the very first book. Um, I had to do it all from scratch. And so I'm going to save you the time that I had to learn how to save for myself. And <clears throat> one of the biggest keys is, is to write the book in the layout program and lay out the book as you're writing it. See, the reason this saves you time, and I know that, that there will be writers or teachers that will tell you that that's counterproductive because it may, it may stop you uh, in your writing process. I disagree personally with that. Um, I've not been hindered in my writing process because I'm writing it in Adobe InDesign. I'll sit down and write. Now, if you get super uh, you know, picky about how every single thing looks while you're trying to write, well, then you might run into a roadblock. But if you'll just sit there and write like it's Microsoft Word or like it's Pages in InDesign, and then use your um, tools as you as you finish the chapter or whatever to for format it. Let me tell you, you will be so thankful that you did at the end of the writing process because now, now that your book is written, it's already inside the layout program. So even if you didn't get everything exactly right how you want it to look, now, instead of importing every chapter to the program and then making sure the text is right and all that, that stuff's already done. It's already completed. And so uh, what, I'm, what I'm recommending is a couple of things. I write these down in your notes when you're using InDesign. Make use, this will be so helpful, make use of character styles. Put that phrase in the comments section, character styles. Um, if you don't know what that is, let me quickly explain it to you. If you've ever been using uh, Microsoft Word or Pages, 
and you see that little drop down up in the toolbar that says like title, chapter, heading, heading one, heading two, heading three, body, caption. If you've ever seen that drop down, those are character styles. The reason that it's so important to use character styles is that that also saves you a ton of time. So literally you're only one, for example, <clears throat> let's say that you, you laid your whole book out and you chose a certain font for, you know, the title. And then you chose a certain font for the chapter uh, title at the beginning of every chapter and the name of the title of the chapter. But then after you were done with your book, let's say it's 200 pages and you say, you know what? I don't like the look of that, uh, the chapter titles. I want to change it to a different font. Well, now, instead of saying having to go back to every chapter, highlight all the font, go through the picker, change to the new font with the new size and the new whatever, all you've got to do now is go into that one character style and change it once, and everything in your book that was assigned that character style instantly changes when you make use of that the character styles palette. So what it does is it basically assigns that style to every area that you assign it to. And, and in this case, we're talking about the chapter title and the chapter number. And if you change it once and change the font, it changes all of them. Same thing with if you wanted to change which font your body style was. So all of the writing of the body, all of that what you used, maybe you're pulling out scriptures and your scriptures are in like a bold and italics font that's different, uh, like I do in my books. You you have a scripture character style, a body character style, a chapter title character style. Maybe you're doing pull quotes, like uh, within the body text, maybe over to the side, you'll have different pull quotes from your body. You have a different style for that. <clears throat> so what happens is, anytime you wanna make a change, you just go into the character styles and change the style of that character and all throughout your book, they all change at the same time. It will save you so much time and headache because one of the things that could happen, which I've seen happen before, is um, you make that decision like, well, I, I want to change the font for the chapter headings or whatever. And you go back through and you have to change every one manually. And then maybe somebody, you, you're scrolling real fast and you pass over one and you forget. And then you don't, you don't want to send that book to print, you know, chapters one through seven and, you know, nine through 15 are all the same font. And then chapter eight got missed and it's the old font. By using character styles, you have the ability to ensure that everything that's assigned that style changes when you make the change. It is so like it saves you so much time. Like I can't, I can't recommend using that enough. I did not used to do that um, when I was when I was starting out, and when I just picked up on that tip, it saved me so much time, and it'll save you time as well. Um, but my recommendation to you is to um, set your character styles before you start writing the book in, in InDesign. Set your character styles first. Very important. Set your character styles first. So if you're writing in the notes, put this down. Set your character styles first. This will also save you time 
to not have to go back and then do what I'm saying where you highlight everything and then assign it a character style. Just do it from the very beginning. Do it from the very beginning and save yourself a ton of time. I promise you, you will thank me that you did that. You will absolutely thank me that you did that. And um, <clears throat> so, so set your character styles ahead of time. Uh, decide what your chapter titles are going to look like. Decide which body font and size and letting that you want for the, the actual writing of your book, the body section. Set your character styles first and make sure that you have what you like. You have maybe an example page on the very first page of your book that shows you what they're all going to look like together. Do that. Do that first. And uh, you'll be so happy that you save so much time. Um, and then begin writing. Uh, what I recommend is, you know, just start your writing. It doesn't matter that you're writing a rough draft. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. You can, as you're going through, you can make any edits that you want. Um, all the all those things are are, um, are available. What what I will say to you is this: the second tip that will really really help you is um, as you're writing through your book. Let's say you write uh, chapter one uh, through chapter three of your book, and then you come back. Maybe the next time you write is four or five days later. And you say, you know what? I want to make some changes or whatever. Maybe you wrote through your whole book and now you're going to go back and make changes to your, to your actual text. Trust me when I tell you this, save separate copies, save separate copies. And uh, on top of this tip, let me add back your copies up online, please, please back your copies up online. Um, don't even trust. I mean, I would trust a thumb drive, but what if you lose it? You know, what if a hard drive fails? Use Dropbox, use Google Drive, use Apple files, use something online to back up your files. Don't lose files like I've lost files in the past. It is the biggest irritation. It's something that could just completely destroy your progress and your motivation back your files up have a system you know download dropbox or google drive or whatever and install it to your computer and as you're writing your saves should go directly into dropbox so every time you hit command s or control s to save that copy should be saving into dropbox immediately so that you don't have to then upload it at the end set it up in your computer so that it saves do not lose files like I've done. It, it's it it like it takes all motivation away. It just makes you angry. So <clears throat> number one, back up your files. But finally, save separate projects. Okay. So let let let's say uh, let me say it this way. Let's say you did write chapters one through three, or let's say you finished your whole rough draft of your book. Now you want to go back and start your copy editing, make making changes, whatever. Um, save it as a different name with the, maybe with the date. So <clears throat> for example, I may start with, you know, Ted's book, uh, July 2, 2020. And that's the very first file. That's my rough draft. Ted's book, July 2, 2020. 
Well, I may come back after writing it and writing through my, my rough draft or whatever. Now it's time to do copy editing. Anytime, let, let me just make it, let me just say it this way. Anytime you're going to make changes to something you've already written, okay, that's the best way to say it. Anytime you're going to make changes to something you've already written, save it as a separate copy. Because what, what, what may happen is, let's say you wrote, you haven't even finished your book, but you've only written chapters one through three, and you're like, you know what? I don't like the way they flow. I want to go back through and change the, the feel of those chapters, okay? Save that as a separate file. I don't, I don't care if it's the next day. It doesn't matter. Save it as a separate file and do like um, Ted's book, July 3, uh, edits, or, or whatever it might be. Make make sure that they are all unique in the file name, but save it because what may happen is this. You go in and you start to um, make those changes. And then as you're making those changes, you kind of hit a roadblock. You're like, you know what? I, I don't really want to make these changes. It is good the way it is, but you've already deleted everything you've written to write the new stuff. And now it's gone and you can't remember how you wrote it before. Don't let that trap hit you. Don't do that. Save as a separate copy with a different file name and start editing the copy. Never edit the original of what you've written. Never edit the original of what you've written. This is important enough to say three times. Never edit the original of what you've written. Make sure you're editing a copy because you always want to have that, that source material, the original source material, intact somewhere untouched so that if you have to go all the way back to the drawing board it's all still there for you in its original form and um, so make sure that you're not only backing the files up but that you're making copies to save and do not do not edit your original source material um, just continue make continue to make copies as you're as you're going forward um, Yes, that's another thing, Tyler. Tyler made a great, great point. He said, I've been keeping questionable sections highlighted within the body text of the material. I do the exact same thing. And the reason for this, that, that he's saying this, and the reason that I'm, I'm also saying it, is because if you're just, scroll, instead of making a note to yourself somewhere, if you're just scrolling back through your, your, uh, your document, you can see if you scroll back through and there's a whole section that's highlighted in yellow, then you know, oh, that's something I didn't quite like that much. There was something I wanted to make changes. I wanted to reword it, but I didn't want to stop right here and break my flow of writing. So I left it how it was and continued writing the chapter. I do the exact same thing that Tyler's suggesting is that if you're scrolling back through, you can easily see that there is a section highlighted whether that means you change the color of the text or you put an actual highlight over the black text. Um, but InDesign also allows you to make notes to yourself. So you could highlight the text and then make a note that tells you why you highlighted it so that you don't forget. Like, what was it I wanted? What did I want to change about this? Actually highlight the text and then make a note as to why you highlighted it so that when you go back 
for your copy editing or whatever, you can make the changes that you wanted to make and actually take time to think about it instead of breaking your flow. In fact, that's a great tip for when you're in a flow of writing. Don't, you don't feel like you have to write your rough draft and edit your rough draft at the same time. You know, write, and if you're in a flow of writing, man, that is valuable. Let me just tell you, being in a flow of writing where it's pouring out of you, that is valuable. It takes time to get into that, and you don't want to break out of it once you're in it. Take that valuable flow and stay in it, and if you come across something that you wrote that you're like, I don't really like it, just highlight it. Highlight it, make a note, and then keep on writing. Because I'm telling you, that is, you'll know once you start writing how priceless it is to be in a flow where it's just coming out and you're just, it is it, just coming and you're hitting it on the paper. It, it is like, that's the, that's what you want to be in. Some days you're praying that that will happen. You know, there's days like I, I described before, it might be a little more slow and you're like, man, I need to get into the, well, I don't feel like writing. I've got writer's block, whatever. You want to be back in that fl flow. So when you are in it, value it and stay in it. And don't let your per your mind, your perfectionist mind, make you want to stop and copy edit everything you've already written. Just keep on getting words on paper. That's the key. Keep getting words on paper. Don't stop getting words on paper. And so it's a very valuable thing to be in uh, that flow. So stay in the flow and continue writing until your chapter's complete. If you then want to go back and edit some of those things, that's fine. If the flow's still going though, I would start another chapter and keep on writing because that's really, that's really the key. The biggest challenge for most people is getting the words down and in the computer, on paper, however you want to say it. The biggest challenge is just putting something down. So if it's coming out and you're and you're making it happen, stay on that flow. Stay on that flow. Um, I will give you another tip that I read, and I know it to be true just from having done it. It's kind of off of what we're saying right now. If you hit inspiration, capitalize on moments of inspiration. Put that in the comments. Capitalize on moments of inspiration. That is like massive. Capitalize on moments of inspiration. Because understand this, first of all, focus, attention span, all those things, they're, they're not unlimited uh, resources. They fade. Focus fades. Attention span fades. Interest fades. And you have to stay motivated. So when you do have those things working for you, capitalize on that capitalize on it and it will help you immensely it's like you know uh whenever and you have you have to know this about yourself it takes it takes some uh introspection to know this about yourself but know when you are at your best to write that's that's huge you know don't think you can just do it at any time and you're going to get the same product that's not the case and I, I don't care if you're filled with the Holy Ghost or not. I mean, if he's anointing you, fine. But it doesn't matter. You have to use wisdom and know when you are the best to do what you're doing. What I mean by that is, um, if you are <clears throat> a morning person, 
If you're a morning person, capitalize on being a morning person. And if you're fresh at like 6 a.m., 7 a.m., before you have to go to work or whatever, sit down at the table with your laptop and, and bang out an hour of inspired writing. Like, you know, capitalize on inspiration. Put it in the comments. Capitalize on inspiration. If, you, if you're that morning person that can get up at 5.30, shower, brush your teeth, have your coffee, have your breakfast, and you can sit down at the table by 6.30 and, you know, till 7.30 or 8 o'clock, you can write and you're at your best at that moment, do that, man. Use that time. Use that time to, to get the stuff out. I'm not that person. I'm a night person. So a lot of my um, a lot of my inspiration hits me at night and it's probably just from having trained my body and mind year after year after year being in revival services every night so that even if I'm not in revival services my body is like still in revival mode you know I wake up I really start waking up at like seven o'clock till till like midnight till like two in the morning and I'm like you know, um, that that's when I like come alive. It's it's from having been in revival services my whole life. And so I'm in that place at night. Uh, a lot, I get a lot of inspiration at night. I get a lot of ideas at night. And so um, that's changed a little bit over the last few years, but uh, I'm still a night person and uh, I get a lot of ideas, inspiration, things that I want to do. And so capitalize on those times of inspiration. Know what type of a person you are. If you are a morning person, use the morning time. If you're a night person, use the night time. If in the middle of the afternoon after lunch, which is very, uh, that that's probably not the case for almost anybody. They've determined through studies that that's where productivity lags the most is in those hours right after lunch but if that's you and if somehow lunch gives you this big <laughs> boost of creativity go for it but know yourself and know when you have that uh that boost of, of creativity and inspiration and capitalize on it use it because it's important to understand these are limited resources you can only put your attention on something for so long. You can only focus for so long. You only have so much willpower. You know, that's, there was an old um, adage that somebody shared with me, um, which, you know, I understand it's relatively true, but they'd say nothing good happens after dark. Nothing good happens at night. Nothing good happens after dark. Well, what they're saying is, is that, you know, and the Bible even says that there are men who love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Um, you know, most people make their mistakes, you know, at night. After their day has gone, they're tired, their inhibitions are down, all that. And so they understand that after a long day's work, everything they've been focusing all day, their inhibitions are down, their guard is down, they're tired. Most people make their mistakes when they're tired or worn out. They make dis bad decisions when they're tired and worn out. Don't try to be your most creative and don't try to be your most intuitive when you're tired or worn out. Don't make decisions when you're exhausted. And so know yourself, know when you have those bursts of energy. And I will tell you this too. Uh, I heard a great, a guy that's written tons of books say this. He said, create a place in your home 
or your office, wherever you're going to do your writing, create a place that does inspire you and, and, and puts you in that place where you can uh, write in a focused way. So he said, whatever it is, you know, if you want, if there's a certain scent, like for, for me, I'm a very, this sounds weird, but I'm a very scent driven person. Like if there's a scent that annoys me, like I can't, fo- I got to like find what it is and like get it out. I can't stand like scents that sicken me or like irritate me. My wife will tell you like there, there'll be times that she'll bring certain uh, air fresheners home or uh, candles and I can't stand it. I can't stand the smell of it. I don't want it in my room. Um, I, I'm just that kind of person. It bothers me to have it around. And so I have to get rid of it. So I'm not going to. That, that that would completely distract me from writing. Like I would sit down to get ready to go. And if, if that thing's irritating me, it's like, what is that that smells like that? Get it out of my room. Like I can't, you know, I can't deal with it. So you might be that kind of a person that you have a certain scent that you love. Maybe it's, you know, my wife's been using all these diffusers recently, um, which are awesome. If it's candles, there's a certain scent you like that keeps you in that mode. Use it. Um if you're a person that you like to have background music on, I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine. He goes, I could never do this, but see, everybody's different. I couldn't do it. He loves to do it. He goes to Barnes and Noble, puts his earbuds in and has music going in the background and he bangs his books out like that there. I could never, ever do that. It would be far too distracting for me to have people walking all around, to have a bookstore, which I love books, so I'd be out looking at the books, to have music playing. I can't I can't do that either. I can't have music playing. I can't have people walking around and talking. Um, but see, for him, it works. For him, it gives him the inspiration and, it, and it, he's able to write books that way. I'm different. You know, I'll sit down and uh, I wanna be by myself. I wanna be in a, in a place where I'm alone. If I do put anything in, like if I can hear people talking throughout the house or whatever, the only thing, and I found this out within the last year, the only thing that I can put in that I actually, it won't stop me or or stop my creativity, I'll put in earbuds and I'll go into like YouTube music or Apple music and they'll have, somebody has professionally recorded sounds of thunderstorms and rainstorms. For me, that's like the perfect background noise. Like I love to hear the sound of a thunderstorm, rainstorm, whatever. I'll pop the earbuds in if there's com- if there's like people talking, if people if stuff's going on, I'll pop the earbuds in, be in my- by myself alone in the room, have my laptop, but that's the thing drowning out background noise and it's, you know, it's not music because probably because also I'm a musician and a singer that if I listen to music, I get into the music and start thinking about the arrangement and all that stuff. I can't be doing that. So you know, I'll put in the sounds of like a thunderstorm or rainstorm and it blocks out anybody talking or yelling or kids if the kids are playing and jumping around screaming. It blocks that out and allows me to focus, but it's not music, so it doesn't distract me. So whatever you've got to do, turn your phone on to do not disturb. Don't let anything disturb you while you're writing. Create for yourself. Now, this is this this is tips that I got from a guy who's written close to 200 books. He said, create a place for yourself that is going to engender that kind of writing. You know, you're not gonna be distracted. You're gonna be totally focused. Do that for yourself. And whatever yours is, make it for you. And then get into your flow 
and make that thing happen and don't allow yourself to be distracted. And as you're writing through, these tips will help you. So using InDesign from the outset. You know, obviously there's other um, layout programs out there. There was one that we used to use called Quark Express. There's others. I feel like InDesign's the best. I think it's, uh, of course, Adobe's apps are, are trusted. They've been around forever and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So I would use their products and I do use their products. Um, and so I would write into design, use character styles, highlight your mistakes, um, all the things we've told you. And then as you are writing, this is great because what, what ends up happening is once you finish your writing, once you're done um, with everything that you've, you've made, you, you've copy edited, you've, you've done all that, then... Um, you're already ready to go. The nice thing is you don't have to do anything else with your book to lay it out, to prepare it, to send to the printer. It's already in that type of a program, a layout program. You've already laid it out to look exactly like you want it to look. What you see in that program is what you're going to see on the page when they print it into a paperback or hardcover book. And so you don't have to do The nice thing is you don't have to do anything else. Now, if you wrote it in Microsoft Word, if you wrote it in Pages, if you wrote it in TextEdit or whatever you may use, now, what, what kind of work do you have to do? Now you've got to go back, you've got to copy and paste all of your chapters into InDesign, then you have to format the text, then you have to shoot, you know, all the character style stuff I've already told you, then you got to space it out properly, then you got to do the same with all your chapter titles and numbers and your quotes and double work. You've done double work. So um, do it Do it from there. Start from there. And I will say this. If you don't have the money, uh, I w I, let, let me just say this to you. If you're going, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're a Christian, you should strive for excellence, right? You should always strive for excellence. So it doesn't matter if you're recording music, uh, whatever you might do, but might be doing. Don't skimp on the things that really matter. Don't skimp. Don't put out a terrible product because you skimped on things that really matter in the process. One of the things I see churches doing and Christians doing is that they'll want to record an album of music or something and they'll pay the money to do the recording. They'll pay the money for a producer or whatever and then they'll have it mixed down and then the last step of mastering they won't master their music. And so it goes out sounding horrible. It, it doesn't sound like what you'd hear on the radio. It doesn't sound what you'd hear on, on streaming sites because they, they skipped an important step because they didn't want to pay extra money because somebody told them mastering doesn't matter. Don't let somebody tell you that about copy editing. You say, well, proofreading is enough. Proofreading is not enough. Trust me. Listen. I'm putting out my seventh and eighth book right now in the, in the editing of it. Let me tell you something. Proofreading is not enough. I can promise you that. Put it in the comment section. Proofreading is not enough. What's up, Lena? You've got to have copy editing. You've got to have a copy editor. If you're not the person, if you're not great with the English language, you need a copy editor. Trust me on this. 
please, please trust me on this. And see, the the here's the problem. Here's where it gets dicey is that we write our book and then we think to ourselves, oh yeah, that's that's perfect. I totally understand what I was saying. I know the points I was making. I just read through it. Sounds perfect. I get it. The problem is you're reading what you wrote and you already know what you mean. So you're already biased and you don't see, you, you're, you're blind to the gaps, if you will. So what I mean by that is you're blind to what other people would not be able to get about what you wrote. That's why you need a, a copy editor to go through and, and they'll mark it out for you. The difference between proof, if you don't know, the difference between proofreading and copy editing is proofreading basically checks, you know, like, you know, your, your punctuation, misspelled words, basic grammatical errors, that kind of stuff. So, you know, you've got a comma here. It should be a semicolon. Uh, this, you know, whatever. You put three exclamation points here. It should just be a period. It's the basic uh, punctuation, some uh, spelling. You're making sure you've got every word spelled right, grammatical stuff. But copy editing is much more important. Copy editing is when somebody looks through a chapter and says, okay, these three paragraphs that you wrote right here, I know what you're trying to say, but it's not clear to the reader what you're trying to say. So it would be better if you would uh, rewrite this section to say it this way so that it's much more uh, clear to your reader. That's copy editing. And let me tell you, it cannot be skipped. <laughs> I promise you this. Don't be one of these like Christians that self-publishes a book that has text lingo. <laughs> so, like, it, you know, if you write a book, you should nowhere in the book should there be an LOL. Nowhere in the body of the text should be a R-O-T-F-L or R-O- yeah, R-O-T-F-L. You should not use text lingo. You shouldn't use four exclamation points. You know, you shouldn't, you know, just get a copy editor. Trust me when I tell you this. Don't be one of these Christians that was like, I need to put out a book. And you don't, and you make it look subpar because you skimped on what, what was important. You know, I felt this way from the very beginning. And the, 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 the reason that... Um, I say this, <clears throat> yeah, I know it's, I'm sorry about that. Let me, let me see if I can, I can uh, change it for you. I don't think I can. Anyway, sorry about if you hear the, the, the sound of the fan, <clears throat> but I learned this. Let me tell you what I did at the very outset. I went back to a Barnes and Noble. I was so serious about this that I went back to a Barnes and Noble and I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take, I'm going to go to the New York Times best-selling books. I'm going to open them up. I'm going to look at how they did it. I'm going I'm to, to the very nth degree, like I went into a, a, a New York Times best-selling book published by a high-end publishing company, you know, whatever. I took a ruler. I was like, all right, how much uh, space do they leave as a margin from the bottom of the page to where the body of the text begins? How much do they have on the top margin, the side margin, the gutter? 
I, mean, I want to know how many lines on a page of text do they normally have shows how much they space it out what size font did they use and i printed out fonts from my computer and compared them to the page of the book that i bought so that i knew how much you know what size font how many lines on the page how much of a margin did they use you know what did their copyright page look like what did their acknowledgments look like all of those things i wanted to know what a professional book should look like so that when I, even if I self-publish a book, which I've done with every book that I've released, but it's gonna come out looking as good as something printed by a high-end publishing company, something on the New York Times bestseller list. So I wanted the, I wanted the quality to be there. And one of the things that happens is that when you have a copy editor, you are doing everything you can to make sure that your book is presented to the reader at the best, in the best possible light. I mean, you've got to do it. If you, if you um, don't quite have the money for a professional copy editor, can I suggest to you that you get the paid version of Grammarly? And when you have the paid version, it won't just show you misspelled words and punctuation error. It'll show you suggestions to change. It'll do a, a level of copy editing for your document. It'll actually tell you, like, you know, you shouldn't say it this way. And it'll rewrite paragraphs and sentences for you and say it, is, it would be better said this way. You can actually copy and paste that into your document. I would use the, um, I would use the professional version, the paid version of Grammarly and I would put all of your chapters through it and go through and look at every recommendation. You might paste a chapter into Grammarly and have 67 suggestions from Grammarly's editor. And I'm telling you, it is totally, totally worth it. Um, uh, I would say this, if you're looking for a copy editor where you live or something, they, they have them online now, you can pay them on Fiverr, you can get them on all kinds of websites, but just Google uh, professional copy editing. There's websites now where you can upload your documents and have them uh, professionally copy edited uh, and sent back to you. I would, they'll do it by word or they'll, yeah, by word count usually. I would do that because it might cost you money, but let me just tell you, you know what you might want to do? Let me give you a suggestion. I, I've never thought of this until right now, but what, what might also be something that would be cool go to a local technical college or go to a local college or a local high school and, and talk to the AP English teacher and say, listen, I'd be willing to pay you. I'm working on my first book. I'd be willing to pay you if you could copy edit my writing. Talk to a professional English teacher uh, that works, does AP, like senior AP English or, you know, go to a college and see if one of the English teachers at the college would be willing to take on a project and make extra money. More than likely, that would, that would be something that would work, would work out. You know, there's people that are, uh, why would they not want to do what they do for a living and make extra money? You know, you may have to ask a couple of different people till you find someone who has the time, but you're going to talk to somebody who is, you know, teaching English at a high level that's going to know and be able to read through your book and say, listen, this was not very clear. They're going to be able to help you copy edit. And so um, that might be a better bet for somebody that's first starting out that maybe you can get someone that'll be able to work with your budget. Uh, because one thing that happens when you use the websites, sometimes they can get pricey 
because they like uh, they're like a by word count basis, they can be a little bit. They might be able to be a little bit. Uh, might be a little bit more expensive. So, um, but I would I would definitely suggest that you do that. But don't by any means skimp on. <laughs> don't skimp on the copy editing phase of your book, please, please. I've read Christian books that had text lingo in them, I promise. Published books that had LOL, exclamation point, R-O-T-F-L. Don't do that. You make yourself look like an amateur. You make yourself look, and what it, what it does subconsciously, it actually takes away your credibility uh, when, in, in your reader's eyes. It just does. I mean, too many people, um, too many people uh, are exposed to too much professional material now for us to skimp on professionalism. You know, everything we have, blogs, even blogs, and most professional blogs are copy edited. So, you know, we're seeing stuff online, we're seeing stuff in bookstores, we're seeing stuff in ebooks, we're always being exposed to professional uh, content. People that are doing their own vlogs on YouTube are using professional cameras and editing equipment. And it's just there's too much content going around. We will be called out. You'll see clearly that ours is subpar if we skimp. Don't skimp on what's important. And copy editing is very, very important. Um, and I'll say this before we pray today. Um, one of the biggest things that's also important is your cover design and your title and subtitle. I want to talk about that. We'll probably end up getting into actual publishing tomorrow and some questions, but I'll take some questions today too if you have some, but um, your remember when I talked about uh, how you only have a, a limited period of time to make an impression on somebody that doesn't know you, that may see your book, that may or may not pick it up, may or may not leaf through it, may or may not read the blurb on the back. You have a limited, a very limited time and opportunity to hook a new reader or a new buyer. So you have to, have to understand the importance of cover design, the artwork, the title, the subtitle, and the blurb, the write-up on the back. Let me tell you why I say this. The first thing that's going to be seen by your let me let me see if let me see if this will help you if I do this this might be better is that better for you guys did the uh, the sound of the rain thing go away let me know if it did um this might be this might be something that you need to really really think about um, number one the very first thing that's going to strike the person that picks up your book is going to be the cover design, the artwork. Before they really even look at your title or think about your title, the artwork is gonna strike them. I would say 85% of the time, if I'm in an airport bookstore, if I'm in Barnes and Noble, uh, wherever I might be, if I'm browsing on like an ebook section in Apple Books or Kindle, the thing that strikes me is the cover design, the artwork. And it stops me, you know, like what if, if people were looking at a whole slew of books, what about your book would stop someone's eye to look at your book? And this is important. 
People do judge a book by its cover, without question. Man looks on the outward, the Bible says. No question about that. People judge a book by its cover. Um, And so you need to give some thought to this. It is worth, I promise you, it is worth paying a graphic designer. If you're not a design person, if you don't use Photoshop, if you've never done any design work, now is not the time to start. (laughs) It is not the time to start if you've never done it. Pay a real graphic designer to design the artwork of your book because you've got to understand how vitally important that is. It, it's, it's the determining factor on whether somebody's eye stops on your book and the fact that you pick it up. Before I, and I am a designer and I've done, I've done graphics design for probably close to 20 years, but one of the things that, um, that I've recognized about doing graphics design is that it's okay to get inspiration and ideas from other people's work. Nothing wrong with that. And so one of the one of the things that I did is um, I once again I went to Barnes and Noble, went to the bestseller section in the business section because I was writing nonfiction books, and then I looked and every cover. Remember, I told you to use Microsoft OneNote. I created a OneNote page. Uh, in in the book writing section of my my OneNote, and I took a picture with my phone that I still have of every cover that caught my eye and made me stop and look at the book. Every single cover design, I took a picture of it and saved it for later. And I was and then I I went through like twenty thirty covers and said, what was it that pulled my eye to this book? Was it the color? Was it the image? Was it the um, you know, was it the the design itself? Was it the title? And I and I weighed those factors, and I said, "All right, this is what professional book covers look like that are on the New York Times bestseller list by people that have done millions and millions of dollars worth of research on what the what the public what what grabs their eye." And then, you know, if you see a lot of books that have the same color cover same style of font, you might want to go in that direction and say, this is what they're realizing is catching the eye of the public in 2020. I might want to do the same thing or a variation of that thing and uh, and make those, but you have to look, you have to know what's being done. Um, so your cover design is, is number one. And then number two is the title. Is your title catchy? Does it create interest? Is it some? Is it something that'd be like that's interesting? That you know, I wonder what that's about. And many people are doing that now, where uh, the title is just a hook, and it's really the subtitle that is describing what the book's about. So let me just give you, um, let me just give you a tip. If you're going to do a title that's kind of vague, for example, the last book that I released, Further Faster. That doesn't really explain what the book's about. It's just a catchy title. It's more of a hook. They're like, okay, if I want to go further faster, you know, what, what's this book about? How do you do that? The subtitle is what describes the content of the book. You understand? Uh, how to accelerate your purpose through the force of impartation. Well, that's the subtitle. That explains now what the book's about and what further faster means. I'm going to be able to accelerate my purpose 
through the force of impartation. And so now I'm describing it. So if you're going to use more of a vague title, like probably the vaguest title I've ever done um, is Unhang Your Harp. People could put that, put, pick that up and be like, what in the world does that mean? Unhang Your Harp. What, what, is, what does that have to do with anything? But then you read the subtitle, How Praise Opens the Door to Every Blessing that God's Provided for You. Well, now you understand what it means. And in the very first part of the book, and even in the blurb on the back, I explain what I mean by unhanging your harp. And so you have to um, you have to use uh, if you're going to use a vague or try a, more of a catch catchphrase style of a title, you need to describe that title and the purpose of your book in the subtitle. I see that done so much, so much. Uh, in the bestseller section. I see it on the New York Times bestsellers. Somebody yesterday said um, that they were reading Good to Great right now. Well, you know, Good to Great, that's a good title. It's a cool title. It's not descriptive of what the book is about. You know, it's the subtitle that's going to tell you exactly what the what the content of book of the book's going to cover. So it's stages, right? Your most important stage is what your cover design looks like. The second most important thing is your title and subtitle. And then next, if the person's still interested, they're probably going to turn the book over and read the, the short blurb on the back of what the book's about. Then if, the, if you've hooked them, they may pop it open, start looking at the contents page, flipping through the first chapter, reading some stuff you've written. And so they're never going to do any of that if they never pick the book up. You've got to get somebody to pick the book up. What you've written, nobody will ever read what you've written if they don't pick the book up. And so there are things we can do to help people pick the book up. And this is why I'm telling you, don't skimp on professional graphics design. If you are not a designer, please find a designer. Once again, there are sites. You can go on to Fiverr. Uh, uh, and, and hire a designer. You know, you may know somebody. There may be somebody at your church that does graphics design for the church. You could ask them, how much can I pay you to design my book cover? Um, more than likely, you probably know someone or you know someone that knows someone. Uh, but, but I'm telling you, don't take this into your own hands if you've never done design. It's disastrous. I've watched it happen over and over and over. It's disastrous. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. Pay somebody to design your book for you. That's funny, Lena. Um, you're welcome, Christina. It, pay somebody. Um, run your ideas by some people. You know, what do you think of this title? What do you think of this title? What do you think of this subtitle? Tell uh, people if you're like, yeah, I really like that. Actually, it's that's a catchy thought. Run it by. Don't don't be the only person that ever hears your own thoughts. Run it by some people that you trust that'll tell you the truth. Not yes, man. They'll be like, yeah, that's powerful. Anything you write's powerful. Don't, not that. People that will tell you the truth, they're like, ah, eh, I don't really care for that. I don't think it's good. I don't think it, it's not, it's not anything that would get me to pick a book up. So make sure you get some input. But remember on that level of hierarchy, it's, um, you, once again, Samara, you can, you can go online and, uh, Fiverr has illustrators, graphic designers, illustrators, um, you could go to, um, I think there's a website called deviantart.com where there's a lot of artists there. But, you know, check out Fiverr, Google, uh, 
uh, digital illustrators. There's companies that do it, you know, but you know, the website, the, 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 uh, the internet is your friend. I mean, you're going to find anything you need on there. Um, but I will say this too. It's a hierarchical thing. So you have cover design, title and subtitle, blurb on the back, and then, you know, your chapter titles. When somebody flips to your contents page, they're going to want to look at the chapter titles and get kind of an overview of what your book's about before they uh, dig into it. That's one of the things that I... Um, you, can I give you a tip that I've noticed and, and then we will pray? I'll give you a tip that I've noticed is a lot of these books, and this is so smart, man. This is like so very smart. If it's like a business book, one of the things that makes you read is they take the chapter title. Uh, let's say that there's a business book that's going to teach you nine principles to grow your home-based business into, you know, a corporation, whatever. One of the things that I've noticed that these writers are doing is that the principles themselves, if you go to the contents page, will not be descriptive. So, like... Um, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm just going to make up an example right now. But like, I've noticed that to get you to read their book, you know, because if not, it's like just Cliff's Notes. You open the contents page, you copy down all the steps, and then you don't then you don't need to read the book because you just copy down all nine steps from the contents page. I've noticed that they don't do that. That what they'll do is they'll create some kind of a concept or a um, you know some principle that they've they've come up with and they've named it. Uh, about what they want you to do, but it won't be descriptive. It won't be informative. You'll have to read the chapter to get what it's about. So for example, let's say um, they're going to do a book on how to turn your home-based business, nine principles to turn your home-based business into a large corporation. You know, it's like you read the contents and it's like, principle one, kick the horse. It's like, well, what in the world does that mean? You know, but it, it also grabs your attention. You're like, kick the horse? I've got to kick the horse as the first step to build my home-based business into a into corporation, what does kicking the horse mean? Well, it just it pulls you to read. It's a hook. All it is is a hook. And so I've noticed that when, when they're writing these chapters, one of the things they're doing so that people don't just scan the contents page and put the book down is that they write them in such a way that it hooks you into wanting to read the chapter. And then, as I said before, many times what they're doing now is when you start reading the chapter, it's a story. Now we're back to the storyteller secret or back to the power of storytelling. Now, instead of being like, here's what kick the horse means. No, they start it with a story, the story that interests you, it hooks you in. And before you know it, you're standing in the aisle of Barnes and Noble and you've completed the whole first chapter of the book. And you're like, man, that didn't even feel like it took that long. That's a good book. I'm going to buy this. You see what happens? The cover art grabbed you. The title interested you. You read the chapter titles and they hooked you. You went to the first chapter and started reading. The story caught you. And now you've read through the first chapter. You're like, man, this, this book's actually good. Well, what happened? They did everything right. They did everything right. And it hooked you as a reader. And now you're buying the book or at least you're taking a picture of it and buying the Kindle version on your phone. Why? Because they did all the right things to hook you as a reader. And that's exactly what we have to do as children of God. We have to be um, wise as serpents, the Bible says. 
You have to understand why they're doing what they're doing and do the same things, the same methods of success work for your book. Just make it happen for your book. And so that's the key. You know, make sure you're you're putting your best foot forward. Don't just be this person that's like, well, you know, I'm not I'm not really a writer. I just feel like I need to get this book out. Don't do that. Don't do that. Understand that what you're writing about is valuable. What you're writing is going to help people. And so package it in such a way that people will read what's going to help them. You know it's going to help them. It helped you. It's part of your anointing. It's part of your calling. It's part of your life. It helped you. God anointed you to do it. And if you have questions, I want you to start putting them in the comments section because I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to finish and I'll take some questions before we go. But it helped you. So my encouragement to you is this. Put your best foot forward and make sure that what you're doing is going to be able to help others because they will pick your book up. You know, they will look at it. They will want to read it. And for most of you, because you're, you're probably, and I'm not speaking doubt over you, I'm just saying most likely, you're not going to be in the bookstore. Your book's not going to be on the shelf most likely. I'm not saying it can't be. I'm just saying that most for, for 90% of you, it's going to be, you know, you're going to sell it personally. It's going to be self-published. And, um, you know, so for, for you, what it's going to be is people looking at your book on Kindle or on Apple Books and they come across your ebook and all they see is a little thumbnail of your book cover. It should be interesting enough to click on with the title, with the subtitle. Put your best foot forward. Leanna has a question. I'm writing a book. Can we include storytelling from personal experience on sensitive issues, for example, harassment? And what would your advice be on how to approach this? That's a great question. Um, I, I would say yes. I dealt with this, I think, yesterday or the day before. What you want to make sure of, if you're using personal, true stories from your own life so that you don't get sued, is you never want to include where it happened, you never want to include when it happened, and you don't want to put any names of any, you know, if there was some guy that harassed you or whatever happened, don't include his name, even if it's just his first name. Don't include when or where it happened. Tell the story. If you have to change the names, change the names. Um, but don't do anything that could cause you to get sued or, you know, you get accused of slander or whatever it might be. Don't, don't do that. You'll get into more trouble the more specific you get. So, you know, just right there was a time in my life where I was being harassed by someone. You don't even have to necessarily include the gender of the person. So no one could say, well, she was talking about me and everyone knows it. Um, you don't even have to include that. But, you know, be very careful with how you use personal stories that, in, in, that, that show other people in a negative light. You don't want to include their name, where it happened, when it happened. I was in college in 1992 and a guy named Dave, like you don't want to do that. Don't do that. Make it vague. You know, tell your story, get the principle out, share your testimony, whatever it might be. But do it in such a way you're not going to get into trouble. You're not going to get sued. Um, <laughs> and so the way you do that is you look at how you wrote it and realize there's no way. Read through it and just say there's no telling. There's no telling details uh, that anybody could trace back to this person in any way, shape or form. 
That's your safest route to go. Now, if it was something that was a public case that went to court, the person's identity was made public, it's public record, you can write about it. You know, if, if it's something, you know, if it, was, if it wasn't somehow sealed by a, a non-disclosure agreement or something like that, uh, and obviously I'm not a, a legal expert, but obviously if it was public record and you went to court for a sexual harassment suit, the person's identity uh, was made public during the court case and you won or whatever, and now it's known, it's, it's Googleable, you can find it online, then obviously you're safer because it was already made public during the, the, during the case. So I would just give you your, just make sure you're, you're protected so that you personally aren't sued for, for writing something and publishing something about another individual, especially without their permission. That's, that's a big no-no. But a great question, a really great question. Any other questions before we pray today? I'm really enjoying this series, man. And I know it's not for everybody. I think it should be for everybody. I understand that not everybody's trying to write a book. I believe that anybody, if you watch the first day, I believe that anybody God's anointed to do something in life should be able to share uh, in, in that form what God has used them to do. I totally believe that. I totally believe that. Everybody has a story to tell of their own life, without question. Everybody has a story to tell. And if you tell it well enough, you can use that story to bring people into the kingdom of God and to encourage them. Um, one of the things that I've, I've heard as a kind of a advice when people are like, well, I'd love to be a, a witness, a greater witness for Christ. I just don't know how to witness. You know, I don't know how to, to, to witness to someone. And I heard this as an, as an example. The very best thing you could do, if you don't know what to say, is share your own personal story with people that you meet. Because it's not you trying to like sit there and proselytize. It's you telling your own story, which no one knows better than you. No one can share. You don't have to try to remember things. It's your own life. Share what Jesus did for you. Share how you came out of depression. Share how you came out of suicidal thoughts. Telling your own story is the best thing you could do. Uh, Samara says, uh, I want to write a book about how finding my uh, finding by my my brother, who was adopted out of family young, changed my view on God, how he works in our lives. I want to call it what I learned about life by finding my brother. But after listening to your information, that, that sounds more like a, a hook. Yeah, so I, I, would, I would use that, Samara, as your subtitle. I would use what you just wrote, what I learned about life by finding my brother. Um, as the subtitle, because it describes um, what the book's going to be about. Um, if you wanted to use some sort of like a one word title, um, you could use like reunited or um, searching or uh, reunited by God. I mean, I'm just, I'm like spitballing, but like, you know, um, lost, you know what? I mean, I don't, I don't know how separated, um, you know, what something that's just like a think of something that's catchy and then use that as your subtitle. No question. Um, you don't want to make that the title of your book. I would definitely tell you that. You don't want to make that the title. That's a subtitle. Uh, but think, just brainstorm it and brainstorm it with others what you think is the most catchy. 
you know, separated or reunited or, you know, searching or, you know, whatever it might be. And then use that as your subtitle to explain the book. And um, I think it'll be great. I think it'll be really great. And it'll help. It'll help others as you as you release that. No question about it. Great question. Any other questions before we pray? I love to hear your questions and anything I can do to help you. Anything I can do to help you, well, I'm, I'm trying to do. I just want you to, to be able to start beyond where I was able to start. Um, I want you to be able to go further, faster, if you will. Um, now available on paperback and ebook. Um, I just wanted you guys to not have to go through the same uh, learning process that I had to go through that you could start literally knowing these tips, tricks, and secrets uh, before you start writing your book. And I believe in you. I mean, I really believe. I'm not just saying that. I wouldn't take a whole week to teach on this if I didn't truly believe it. I truly believe that this is something that everybody has the ability to do and should do. If God's done something for you, tell it. Doesn't mean your book has to be a 300-page novel. It might be 80 pages at at a 5 by 7 size. But if God's done something for you that's worth testifying about, it's worth telling people about. You know, even, think about this. Even if you only printed your book for the purpose of giving to people as your testimony and say, hey, listen, read this when you get a chance. And when you're on a plane with somebody or you're driving, you meet somebody at the salon and say, and they're talking, you talk about what happened to you. Say, listen, could I give you this? This is my own story of how God changed my life. Now your book is an evangelism tool. And then and, you know, include at the end of the book how they can be saved and what next steps they can take after they've prayed the prayer of salvation. You know, do use it that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, something something that's going to catch attention. Uh, is it Riandra? Uh, something that's going to catch attention. Lord, I'm guilty. Um, yes, anything that's going to catch someone's attention, like, oh, what's, I wonder what that's about. Because, you know, obviously nobody's going to, very few people want to admit their own guilt. Do something that's catchy and then have a good subtitle. Absolutely. It's not, I don't think it's too scary. I think you want to be extreme in, in a way to catch the attention of those that are that are going by and looking at your book, wherever they're going to see it. But it's an excellent, excellent, I think. And work off that idea, brainstorm it with people that you trust, and uh, and hone it, you know, and then make the cover make the cover reflect that feeling, you know, maybe somebody behind bars or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, make make it reflect that feeling, and look the way it should. Let me pray for you guys today. Um, I'll be back again tomorrow, ten thirty a.m. to to polish off the end of this, and we're going to talk about publishing tomorrow. You don't want to miss it. I'm going to tell you how to publish your book. Tomorrow, without question, I'm going to show you how to get it in hand, professionally printed, professionally published, get the digital version out on ebook. We're going to cover that tomorrow. I didn't realize we had so much content for today, but bow your head and let me pray for you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you continue to use each and every one of us by the power of your spirit. I pray in Jesus' wonderful name that you would inspire us and that you would give us the words to say to bring people into the kingdom. Let our story, let our testimony be the entrance for somebody to come into the kingdom of God, that their life would be changed, they'd be saved, they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit because of what you've already done in us. Let our testimony be the overcoming factor for those that are 
uh, coming in contact with us in, my, in the mighty name of Jesus. Give us wisdom beyond our years. Give us revelation. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us into all truth. Use us for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for that and we give you praise and we give you honor today in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Listen, thank you guys. Uh, once again, for anybody, and I wanted to encourage you uh, to sow a seed. If you've not done so, if you've not partnered with us, let me encourage you to partner and to stand with us. We're here in Moorfield. The tent is up. People are being saved. And uh, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, those of you that are here, to stand with us and believe God for the greatest days. Jesus is coming. I can't believe as I look around the world that there are still Christians asleep. That there are, there are still Christians that are sleeping. That don't understand the hour of the day we're living in. It, it's crazy to me that there are still people that don't understand Jesus is coming. And he's coming soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.